0: How many of you have seen Simon Sinek's TED Talk on the Golden Circles? Simon Sinek, okay, the why, how, what? This is sort of what we're working on here, why, how, what? Tell me, when you're wanting to achieve these things on your farm, you're wanting to have an income, you're wanting to grow healthy food and be healthy yourself, you're wanting to do it to have a certain lifestyle, you're also wanting to do it for outreach and personal spiritual growth, there are some other reasons out there, okay? These were some of the reasons that I too had work with my family, grow healthy food, earn an income, live a rural life to learn the valuable lessons both spiritually and otherwise that agriculture affords and to improve our spiritual connection. When you're going to do these things that uh, in order to accomplish these goals that you have in agriculture. What sort of disciplines are you going to need to bring to bear on the work every day? What kind of, you know, we might call them character traits. What would you need to bring to bear every day to bring success to your organi- your, your business, commitment, diligence, competence, order, discipline, self-discipline. I've heard two here, accounting and somebody else record keeping. I'm going to put those out here. Okay. You'll see why in a second, accounting slash records, We're really talking about the personal disciplines it takes to achieve success. So competence, diligence, order, sort of organization, discipline, faith, prayer, uh, self-taught, independence, independence, focus. Okay. How about creativity? Sure. Endurance. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Spoken by a true farmer, I can tell. Patience. Okay. Fantastic. We're We're getting the idea. So some of the things that we need to do is we need to be, you know, we need to have order. We need to, be, uh, we need to bring planning to bear in, in everything that we're doing in agribusiness. By the way, um, I, I am speaking about agribusiness success and what it takes to have success in agribusiness tonight. Having said that, if you're not currently in agribusiness and you're just interested in growing your own garden or, or working, you know, with plants, there's a spot for you. Just just wait for it. It's coming, okay? You'll see the connections later. So, where was I going? Okay, yes, you need to bring planning, diligence, perseverance. I had a feeling you guys were going to say some of these things, so I just pre-populated my slides, okay? Care, observance, ingenuity, creativity. These are some of the things that we're going to apply every day, okay? The why of our business is this is what we're wanting to achieve. The how of our business is this is how we're going to get the work done. Now we're going to talk about the what. The what of our business is what do we need to do? What tasks do we need to do to make agribusiness successful? We need to do some accounting. Yes, financial bookkeeping and record keeping are extremely important. What are the tasks do we need to do to make a farm work? Good work. Soil prep. Anything else? Marketing. Yes. Seeding. Planning, harvesting, plant, uh, crop care. Uh, So we need to package the produce. Okay, anything else? Uh, We need uh, hand skills. So we need to work, uh, we need technical and labor skill. Okay, anything else? We need efficiency, yes. Somebody else said something? We need to transport stuff. We've got marketing here. Okay, you're getting the idea. You're docked for not getting every one, by the way, so let's hope you got every one I put down. Uh, Hope we're all keeping self-grade, so I trust your honesty here. Uh, We're gonna be doing soil prep. We're gonna plant. We're gonna do irrigation and weed control, pest management. We're gonna harvest the crop. We're gonna take care of the crop. We have to do sales and marketing. We're gonna be doing business planning, and and if you haven't gotten that sense from some of the seminars you've been going through today, um, certainly you will by the end of your time here. Business planning and that is crucial. Accounting, you may even have employees. You're going to have to do staff supervision and management. So you're going to learn, have to learn how to be a leader of individuals, how to communicate, and how to uh, inspire to action, because you need employees to have action. You're going to need to have all of these skills. So this is what you're trying to accomplish. This is how you're going to do it. And this is what you're going to do. This is our why, how, what of agribusiness. Fair? Fair. Okay, we're at an interesting point in time when it comes to agribusiness. As we all know and we all hear about because we read these books and we hear those uh, podcasts and all of that, we know that over the last 80 to 100 years, small farms in North America and throughout the world are selling. And where are they going? they're going to somebody else, whether it's an individual or a large company, they're going to somebody else who already thinks that they can make advantage of that small farm. And then as that small farm or that, that, that farm property gets absorbed into another business, that business gets bigger and eventually they get bigger and bigger and where are all the farms going? They're going into the hand of larger stakeholders. There are fewer and fewer mid-sized stakeholders in North America. Interestingly, as we have gotten fewer and fewer mid-sized and small stakeholders in agribusiness, what has happened? There's been a void open up. And what is that void? That void is this connection with where our food comes from. We don't know how to grow stuff anymore. We, many of us here, are asking questions about how to grow it best. We're taking advanced soil uh, and advanced soil management or, or whatever classes. We're, we're trying to figure out how to fertilize this stuff. We're trying to figure out how to do crop care and pest management and so on because we don't know because our parents didn't teach us. We didn't grow up in it. So there's an interesting thing as we have been disconnected from our food, that opportunity has come to connect people with their food. Even the large companies have figured out that what is missing is connection. So, if you go to Cheerios website, they'll show you this video. This is a video of a farmer, Ed Schurer from Manitoba, Canada. What do you think he grows? He grows oats. They put them right in the Cheerios. It's an awful simple process. They'll show you the process too on the website. It's really educational for those of you who are interested in industrial automation and food manufacturing like I am. You can learn way more in a video than you would think and probably than they would like to let out. Be Careful what you put on the internet. If you're in company and you have interest in managing your intellectual capital, be careful. So how is Cheerios going to gain some currency? some currency of trust with their customers. They're going to tell you who their farmer is so that they can, you can feel a connection with who is growing your food. Really? Wow. Is anybody else on this bandwagon recognize that logo? McDonald's wants you to know where their food is coming from. They want you to be able to trace your food, right back to its source. I'd like to suggest that when it comes to the evolution or the life, who, who's familiar with the, the, the um, life cycle of a trend? Okay, where you get the innovators and then you get the early adopters and then you get the early majority and the late majority, okay, and then you get the laggards, right? Where's McDonald's on the scale of things? Okay, they're not innovators. They are not early majority. They're not, you know, Maybe they could fit into late majority. McDonald's is on the bandwagon of telling you where your food comes from. We don't have a whole lot more time, I would suggest, left to catch this opportunity before it's maybe too commonplace. But the window is still open. Look, this is McDonald's UK. They want you to know where your, 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 the pigs are grown and how they're raised. And if you look at how those animals are, are being kept out in the field in pens, you would say that's a lot superior to what you would have expected coming from McDonald's. If you were a McDonald's consumer, wouldn't you like to know that your animals were being treated like this? Sure you would. So how do we gain currency? We tell you where the pigs come from, we'll tell you where the potatoes come from right here in Washington, Frank Martinez Farms. Company after company is doing this. And of course, I'm related uh, working with A company whose whole premise is on, we will show you, this is One Degree Foods, we will show you exactly where every single ingredient in every bit of food comes from. Right down to any additives like salt and other sort of, you know, not grown products. We'll show you where it comes from. And people are liking it. People want to know it. Why? Because there is an opportunity for relationship. And in this world of disconnectedness, which despite all of our ongoing connectedness with our devices, we are becoming more and more disconnected. We talk about that a lot. We hear about it. People are looking for connection, and they want to be connected with their food. They want to be connected with their farmers because for some reason, farmers are automatically trustworthy. What is it about farmers that we automatically trust something about their integrity, about their relatability, about their down to earthness, if I can call it that. What is it? Don't know. I don't know. Maybe you do, but it's there and it's exists in our society. So I'd like to tell you about my study on how to succeed in farming. I'd like to tell you that I studied for thousands of hours, I've studied the data on how to succeed in farming, but I'd lie, be lying if I said that. So I'd also like to tell you that I've collated, you know, reams of data into the charts I'm about to show you from various meta analysis and so on, but I'd be lying about that too. So I'm just going to tell you what I think it takes to succeed in farming for the first five years. Before I do that, I also want to mention that farming as a business is a very unique proposition. If you're trying to earn your income in farming, unless you live in the equator, you're trying to fit your income into a portion of the year. As soon as you reduce the amount of time, you drive up the amount of energy required in a system in order for that reaction to occur. It takes more energy to do earn an income in six months, Further north, maybe five months, maybe four and a half. It takes more energy, it takes more time trying to squeeze that in. You know what's also complex, and compared to other certain businesses, if you were uh, manufacturing a widget and you couldn't get the, the... If you weren't liking the way this piece was coming out or the way the assembly was working, what would you do? You'd change it, right? You, you'd try adjusting things, and then, and then you change it, and you try that, and then you change it, you try that, and you change it. Okay, and you've got a thousand widget pieces in the warehouse, so by the time you get to the end of a working day, you've had multiple chances to try approaching this fit differently or the assembly of your widget differently. When you're on a farm, how many, well, let me, let me before I go there, working for a bakery... Okay. We mix up a batch of bread. It takes five minutes. Okay. We're going to do, we're going to do 10 batches of bread an hour. We're going to work 24 hours a day. I've got 240 batches of bread. I can bake in a day. Each of those batches is, you know, whether it's a thousand loaves or a hundred loaves, it's irrelevant. I've got 240 chances per day to get that batch right. That's a lot of chances. So if it fails and it goes down into the next stage and I'm watching how it's behaving there and I don't like how it's behaving there, even before it's finished baking, I can go back and I can make an adjustment and try that. And you can see very quickly, you can figure out a problem in a biological process, which farming and bread making are. You can figure out a problem in a biological process and you can say, let's solve this. 240 batches of bread a day, how many batches of garlic do I get per year? My boss told me, I mean, I expect you only have about 20 to 30 batches left in you. He was reminding me of my age. Thank you very much. That's one of the challenges of farming. You've only got so many cracks at bat, you've only got so many batches you can mix up before we're just out of time. So, the heat is on, the pressure is great. The time frame in which it happens is narrow. It's not a full year. It's not generally a year-round business where you're doing all the functions of the business. If you don't have your greens in for the winter greens by late September, early October, are they going to germinate? Are they going to grow? That's it. That was your opportunity that year. Better luck next year. So let me tell you what it takes to be successful in farming. When you're planning, now now, don't pre-look at the slides, guys. This is very anticlimactic if you read too far ahead. <laughs> Whatever you expect to put in in terms of effort, okay, the amount of work it's going to take, it's going to take ten times more. Just about guaranteed. I've been listening to you guys talk here all day, and I haven't had anybody disagree with me yet so far. Of course, I haven't challenged them on it, but that's, that's what everybody's sharing. It's surprising what you first expect when you do your plans and what you actually experience once you're in the field. It's surprising. You know, once you have employees or interns or something else, let's say you've got to figure out how fast a certain job is going to get done. So you'll go and you'll decide that you want to pack this many uh, radishes. I heard it it talked about earlier. You're gonna bunch so many radishes per hour. You're really hoping to do 30 radishes per hour, and you can do, because you're the farmer and you care and you're driven and you're motivated, you can do 50 an hour. And you think in your head that if I get somebody else to do this, they'll do 35 to 40 an hour when I do 50. Well, the honest truth is that they're going to do less. They're going to do 20, 15. This is the reality I found in farming, that your projected rate and you're, you, you've put your numbers uh, based in your spreadsheet and the performance of your business, you've hung it on a reduced version of what you can do because you know that's realistic, and then when you get them to do it, it's even less. Oh, now you have to respond, and you have to figure out how to move from there. There's a few other things that happens, you know? You might, you might uh, call up a couple of customers, or you might get a sense for, for what's happening. I'll give you an example for this one. This is a, this, the, the light green is the planned, the dark green is the actual, and um, so you might call up a customer, say your local grocery store like I did, and you might get a sense for how many cases of romaine lettuce they're going to move per week, and they might say we move 10 cases per week. So when you plant your romaine lettuce and you've gone ahead and and planted successively so you can have 10 cases of romaine for them and you want 10 cases for the other store and the other store and the other store. So you get up to say 400, uh, 400 heads of romaine lettuce ready to come off every week and the romaine grows up and it's nice and it's big and it's tall and it's ready to go. And you've been waiting for this moment because you know this is when sales start happening and you call up that customer and you say, hey, are you ready to buy? Are you ready to order this week? I'm I'm ready to harvest tomorrow. Their answer, more often than not, more often than you expect, at least, will be, oh, I just got a bunch from the warehouse. I'm good, thanks. Click. That's it. That's it. Call them up a few days later. Hey, you ready for uh, you? Re- this romaine lettuce. You, for those of you who know, how long does it last in the field? Three days. Five days if you're in really good weather? Call them up halfway the week later. This is the end of when the romaine lettuce is good. Hey, are you ready for a few cases? You know, I'm still doing okay. It didn't sell out well. Invariably, you'll find that the verbal sales commitment you get from, in in the wholesale business at least, from customers is a paltry uh, result compared to what they actually buy. It takes time. Now, if I could show you a five year sales trend on this, I would let you know that there's hope. There's hope. After three years of working with a a local distributor um, in in the Vancouver region, their their projections are very close to what they're actually pulling. So there's hope, but it takes time to get there. Five years later, we're in a different area than we are in the first year. So now when their verbal sales commitment doesn't come through, what happens to your annual sales? Well, they drop and you had been projecting, you know, a a 30 to ish, 25% direct expenses. And you find out that when all the bills come in, you're actually up in the the order of the the 40% range and your sales were down. And in the end, it can leave you in a pretty hard spot with regard to gross margin. So what do you do? You get to the end of the year. Well, you didn't completely fall apart and you decide that you're gonna change the plan. And I've heard that very much today. Go in easy if you're interested in agribusiness. Go in easy because the plans are going to change. Unless you've had experience in it, unless you've got set sales and you've got set relationships and you've got everything figured out in your process, things are going to change year over year. And if you're anything like us, you're going to find that 60% of your business will change. 60% of your business plans. Sometimes, some years, you might try your second year and you might decide, you know what? Almost nothing worked last year, only this little bit. I'm going to go, you know, just with this little bit and expand that. So you might have an even bigger than 60% change. But as that gets dialed in, it'll, it'll start coming into the funnel. It'll home. This is what it takes to succeed five years of agribusiness. It's not that different, I have to be honest with you, than other business. When, when you. Uh, here, how long it takes an entrepreneurial, a new enterprise to be profitable? What does most uh, business coaches and data, what do they tell you? How long does it take? Five, ten years. five years. Sometimes ten. Sure. If you're really lucky, three. So it's not too bad. By the end of five years, you should be doing all right. Now, you might be able to do it a little sooner. You've got some great coaching here. You've got some great coaching here. So, you might be able to pull that off. One other slide I thought I would share with you is in order to get all of this as a farmer, um, you're going to have to walk a little bit. So, when you're working in the wintertime at your office tasks, planning, and so on, you might average 5,000 steps per day. But as things come along to uh, March and, and April and, and May, you start to increase. And by the time you get to midsummer, you know, you may be walking uh, on average per week. Remember, you don't do a whole lot on Sabbath. So you may be walking 15,000 average steps per day. You know what that means on the high days you walked? Anybody want to venture a guess? 25 to 30,000 steps to get that average. That's a lot of miles you're putting on your pedometer walking around the farm to get things done. Can anybody relate with with this or am I the only one? I see a few heads nodding. Sure, makes for some pretty long days. So what is success? True success then. How many of you watched this talk on TED by Robert Waldinger or Waldinger? No hands, great. That's exactly what I was hoping for. He is the curator of a Harvard study of longevity. What they've been doing is they, in, in the late, uh, you know, just post-war era, they solicited 724 men to enroll in this study. Half of them were Harvard graduates. Half of them were uh, the people from the poorest Boston neighborhoods, people who lived in tenements and and supplemental housing who spent their time on the streets. 724 men. This study has been ongoing since then. One of the rarest studies of its kind, because for over 75 years they've been in touch with these men. There's only 60 of the original 724 men left alive today. Now they're studying their children, and their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren. And they bring them in from the beginning. They brought them in every year or or a couple of years, and they interview them. They ask them questions about their life. They give them a a full physical and a full medical. Then they scan their brains. They draw their blood. They, They try to figure out what's going on to get a full picture as much as possible of these men's lives. One of the reasons it's so difficult to have such a long study is because, you know, funding can dry up. The recipients, you can lose contact with the participants. You can, they can move off and just never let you know where they're going. And, and, and then the, the vision of the person who's leading the study can change and then they may not apply for funding. This has been a continuously ongoing study, so indeed, it's very rare. So some of the men they've interviewed have become real leaders. Some of the men they've interviewed, one even became a president of the United States. Some have become business leaders and educational leaders. Some men have not. They have failed to thrive. Some have become alcoholics and addicted to other substances, and they've had divorces and fallen apart. So they've tried to analyze the data and see what makes the difference in success, if we could call it that, between these and those. What if I were to tell you that they found that the same thing that predicts your overall longevity is also what predicts your happiness. What if I were to tell you that the same thing that predicts your health at 80 when they test you at 50, that, that those are the same thing? What predicts your happiness also predicts your health when you're 80. And it's not your cholesterol level. It's not your resting heart rate. It's not your diet. What if I were to tell you that this one thing that makes a difference in your health and your happiness, it measurably reduces uh, mental degeneration. It measurably reduces the, the reduced mental capacity in old age. What if I were to tell you that this same thing reduces the amount of pain a patient who is suffering from ongoing medical uh, difficulty and has constant pain in their joints or wherever, that this one thing also reduces the amount of pain that they feel and that they report, self-report? This one thing shows that there's higher levels of, of, of mental stimulation on an ongoing basis. Does anybody want to take a venture as to what this one thing is? Only you who have not watched this are allowed to speak. What's that one thing? Say that again. Relationships. The number of close, supportive relationships that you have through your life has a better predictor of your ongoing addiction to substances, your ongoing health into old age, your overall reported happiness levels, okay, the ability of people who at their retirement to replace their workmates was with playmates, those are the people who were healthy and happy into their 80s. Those who were not able to make that transition well by replacing workmates and playmates, workmates with playmates, they didn't fare so well. Those who had the least cognitive decline were the ones who were most surrounded by family and friends. Those who in their 80s were were significantly still attached to somebody else were also faring the best and living the longest. Interestingly, success then in life may have more to do with the amount of energy we put into our relationships than it does to any other single activity or focus or personal discipline or relationships. You would think that would have been intuitive. Happiness. Health. You know? If we're de- if if you're we have to admit to ourselves, when you're down and you're feeling discouraged and you've suffered some, and maybe your farm didn't go the way you expected it to, what's gonna get you up in the morning? You might do it by personal drive for a while, but after a while, it's your inspiration from your close relationships. I can't let so-and-so down. I gotta make sure I get that delivery because you know, somebody's expecting it. Some say that there's 150 people, 150 people that we can maintain close relationships with such that if you were sitting in a coffee shop and you were having a decaffeinated coffee, with somebody, that when that other person walked by, you would invite them to sit and join you, that that's gonna be about 150 people. How close, how much energy do we put into those relationships? I'd like to suggest that success in life and success in farming are very similar. That success in farming, okay, may have these goals. That if we were to succeed in relationships, if success in relationships was our goal here, that we would apply many of these same disciplines. We would apply commitment, diligence, competence, creativity, and we would do many similar tasks. We would, um, we would go out and we would check the crop. We would provide careful observation of what was going on. We would do some planning. We would do some soil preparation. We would do some seeding. We would do some harvesting. We would do some crop management and some post-harvest care. I'd also like to suggest that it will take you 10 times more effort than you expect to succeed in relationships, and that's okay. Be willing to put in the hours. So when I'm out and I'm looking at my fields, you know, you you go by every day and you check those rows and you check, you you just have a quick glance of things. And when you see that something's a little bit questionable, you might go out. But even if something's not questionable, you go out and you check the crop. Why? Because it's needed. So sometimes I go out and I check the crop and I'll check, I'll check not only how the individual plants are doing, but I'll dig in the soil and I'll check the water, the, the moisture level. Do you think it's any different in your relationships? Do we only go to them when we, they're obviously under strain? Or do we need to invest that time? We need to check the crop. We need to be out there. They say a farmer's footsteps are the best fertilizer. That's the same with our relationships. Be there. Be there regularly. Be there all the time. Be there often. Invest in it. Be creative with it. Plant seeds. You'll notice that the most sensitive time in farming is the time just before and just after you put seed in the ground. Those days during germination and emergence, and then just up until post emergence, are the most sensitive nail biting times I have on my. I seed three times a week, every week, the same types of crops, and we harvest five days a week. And we do that continually throughout the 20 ish weeks of the growing year. So I'm constantly on edge because the weather changes. And when the weather changes, my, my, my plants, uh, the, the seeds, uh, conditions change. The soil might have been a little bit more wet than I expected when I seeded it. So it didn't get the same amount of cover because soil doesn't flow the same when it's wet as when it's dry. And it wasn't quite as hot, so the amount of moisture that was in the soil when I put it in uh, was different. And the, t- the average temperature throughout the day and the peak temperature in the middle of the day was different. So you're nail biting and you watch and you make adjustments and you check and you change. That's what we need to do to succeed in relationships. I'd Like to say that the opportunity in farming, if we were to go back to the beginning of the presentation, It's not just business. What are people wanting? They're wanting to connect with a farmer. They want to have a relationship. And this is what is one of our opportunities to provide. Farmers, more than many others, don't read ahead of me now. Farmers, more than any others, are trusted. I don't know why that is, but we are. Embrace that. We're trusted. Don't lose the trust. It's a precious, precious product. Don't lose that, don't break it. For some reason, you go and you'll start a farm and you'll find that people are gonna start dropping in on you. If you were running a cake business or a, you know, a manufacturing business or something else, they may not come and drop in, but as soon as you have a farm, people wanna stop by and chat. You have gotta factor that into your planning. You may have, as many, My wife could, could clarify it for me, but as many as 10 to 15 visitors per day. And I live in a rural area, folks. We have, we have a small community of 2,000 people. And we've had 10 to 15 visitors, unexpected visitors per day. That's good. They want a relationship, and so do I. I've already covered some of these other things. Oh, yeah. Farmer's footsteps are the best fertilizer. we covered that already. By the way, it's probably worth mentioning. For those of you who are putting seed in the ground, what do you want? Don't you want a harvest? Sometimes, sometimes we as farmers and we as gardeners and so on, we can focus on the weeds, but our goal is not a weed-free patch of ground. There's a long application to that one you think about the fruit of the spirit and the seed of the word, and so on, the goal of the seed being planted in the soil of the heart is a harvest. If you just have weed free ground with no harvest, you have desert, dead soil. so goal run for the harvest. you know one of our one of the quotes for this uh, this time here together is Christ's method alone will give true success. In reaching the people, the Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs. He won their confidence and then he bade them follow me. As a farmer, you desire their good. You are trying to produce something that is of benefit of use to them, something that they are going to value. As a farmer, you will also be able to show sympathy. Let's just touch on that. How do you learn sympathy? Through suffering. Who said that? You learn sympathy through suffering. When you have walked a mile in their shoes and you realize they don't have souls, suddenly your flip-flops that do have souls don't feel so bad. Sympathy is gained by experiencing or being able to put yourself, at least mentally, in the position of somebody else. When you can sympathize, now you've got traction. Now you've got traction, then you can minister to their needs and win their confidence. Jesus, it says, drew the sympathy of all hearts because he showed himself capable of sympathizing with all. If you're going to get into agribusiness, some things are not going to go the way you expect. There's going to be a little suffering, and that's good. Don't you ever doubt that that is absolutely good. God's plan for us is not that every door should be pushed open. God's plan for us is that we will be strong. And when you are strong, you have been frustrated. You have been shut down. You have failed. And you have done what afterwards? You got up. You got up and tried again. The just man falls seven times. And what does he do? He gets up, he gets up. Remember when you were being tempted, okay? And you fall, what should you do, lay there? No, you get up, it's the same in farming, get up. There you will develop strength. You will also develop sympathy. When you get into agribusiness and you find that things aren't the way you expected, Realize this is part of God's plan for you and me. Because through sympathy, we can earn the sympathy of all. And on that sympathy bridge, we can build a relationship that is potentially eternal. For aren't we all trying to be forever friends? I'd like to suggest that true success is what God did. And God loved like crazy. God's crazy love is what got each of us here today. And if you will have success in farming, you'll have success in life. You too will love like crazy. Thank you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.